This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with New Zealand actor and comedian Chris Parker. Chris joined me to talk about his stand-up comedy show, Gentleman, which is showing at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival between the 31st of March and the 24th of April. Chris is also well-known online for his very funny Instagram and TikTok videos. You can follow him on Instagram at chrisparker11. I'm absolutely excited and delighted to welcome onto the program comedian and actor Chris Parker, who is from New Zealand, and he is here in Melbourne to take part in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. He has a show on called Gentle Man, two words, and it runs from the 31st of March till the 24th of April, and he is also well-known for many things, in fact. I probably won't get to mention it all up front because we'll talk about it in this conversation, but Chris has been involved in acting and improv and comedy writing for television. Uh, He's also appeared on reality television as well in New Zealand. And Chris also has a very fantastic TikTok and Instagram feed where he has created some hilarious videos and skits throughout the coronavirus pandemic and has absolutely kept me sane and really made me laugh. I've spent a lot of time forwarding these videos on to my friends and my sister in particular. So it is a real honour to have the one and only Chris Parker on the program. Hi there, Chris, and how are you going? I'm a little bit in shock after that glowing CV. <laughs> if only my parents were listening, they would have been so proud. <laughs> <laughs> well, they can From listen the lofty back. highls of, of theatre and acting to, to, I don't know, <laughs> the trashy bottoms of reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure you even won a reality television show, didn't you? I did. It's so weird because um, Australia has basically no context for what a show called Celebrity Treasure Island is. And it's a real alarm bell when you have to explain like explain that I am a celebrity that can be on a show called Celebrity Treasure Island in New Zealand. <laughs> but it's basically like Survivor, but everyone's playing um, sort of hens do party games. Um, <laughs> and somehow I just stuck around long enough to win it, which was, um, yeah, a bit, of a, a bit of a weird chapter in a, what was a very strange book last year. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was done in the pandemic, wasn't it? It was, yeah. It's supposed to be, because um, it's Treasure Island, you usually go on a, a remote island and, and compete against a whole bunch of other celebrities. But because of the pandemic, we were just in, um, honestly, about four hours away from my home in um, Auckland, so just up in Northland. But um, it was nice to be able to sort of spend some time on the beautiful New Zealand beaches. Well, I can't say I watched it because I don't think it's no. available in Australia. Uh, I mean, really, you'd had to be in New Zealand and sort of locked down in what was quite a depressing (laughs) pandemic to watch it. Uh, But luckily that was going on. So quite a few New Zealanders did watch it in the end. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you quite literally had a captive audience. Yeah. uh, Sort of held ransom in in many ways. Yeah, indeed. Well, I know that we all felt quite captive here in Melbourne. And uh, I mean, we're quite famous for it now around the world of having many, many lockdowns and being stuck indoors. And as I mentioned in my introduction, that's how I was introduced to your work was through Instagram. And uh, gosh, I think someone might have shared your really funny Instagram story about explaining gay marriage proposals as this elaborate (laughs) ritual, which was hilarious. Clearly, I won't be able to get you to act it out again because it was just too good. But, I mean, what inspired that? 
Oh, so my partner of like seven years proposed to me at the beginning of um, Feb- February last year. And I just couldn't believe the amount of people that kept asking me, oh, so how does it work? Um, and I was like, what do you mean, how does it work? And I'm like, well, you know, when it's two guys, like, do, do you have to buy him a ring or does, because he's bought you a ring and out, you know, it's like, because you're both yeah. men. And I was just like, it just seems so ridiculous to me because <laughs> it's like, it doesn't matter how it works. It's all ridiculous anyway. Like, why is everyone in these weird white dresses wearing veils? Like, it's all, it's all stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought I'd just make a little video that sort of um, – pulled fun at that and, and, and mocked and sort of came up with the elaborate rules of when two men decide to get uh, engaged to each other, um, which is often my reflex. I think when I get a bit frustrated or confused by other people, I just sort of turn to my phone. I mean, really, I should just go to see a therapist and talk it out. But uh, <laughs> instead, I like to sort of show off and ask people to like videos that I've made. It's turning to be quite unhealthy, I reckon. It's an unhealthy, maybe unhealthy, but we do benefit greatly from it. So I'm grateful to you for expressing it through your phone. Oh, um, look, I don't have many skills is the thing. Like I don't, I'm, I'm not very like, handy around the house and I, I can't really do, um, you know, like practical things. But I, one thing I am good at is just sort of making silly videos and making people laugh. So I guess it's, it's a great application of my very small and specific skill set. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the only serious question I might ask you today, which I'll I'll get out of the way now, is that I read in your bio that you came from a well-known improv troupe or group in (laughs) New Zealand. And so acting was presumably one of your first loves and something that you must have inspired you to to start doing improvisation. Um, And improv is not, not that easy. I mean, it is actually a skill to do improv. So I wanted to ask is that what has led to your comedy career? Like what came first, the acting or the comedy, or was there a kind of meld of both? Really good question. Um, I would say for me, it's always been a desire just to be in front of people and entertaining them. Like I'm just a huge show off. I think I probably take after my dad in that sense. Like I used to just be so enamored with the way my parents would like host a dinner party with a bunch of friends and, you know, like have all their boomer friends over, have a big cheese ball, on a table somewhere and have them all laughing. And like, I really sort of um, admire those qualities and I like having people over and entertaining them. And so it's kind of an extension of that and any outlet that I could have where I could perform and entertain people, I've sort of seeked. But I went to drama school in Wellington and did like very serious theatre training. Uh, but the, I just got a bit tired with acting because you have to wait for so long and, um, the way to get work is it's all in the hands of other people who decide whether you're right or wrong for the role. And also actors are just so ridiculous. Like they're just the worst people to hang out with. They're just, they're on, I mean, comedians aren't that great either. Like they're quite sort of depressing the, the, the lot of them, but actors are really out, you know, out of their minds. Like they're just the way that, I mean, you just have to look at the Oscars yesterday and see, you know, like the way that Will yeah. Smith reacted. Like they're just, they're pretty on edge. And so <laughs> I always found myself, wanting to hang out with comedians more because I enjoyed the, the banter more. And because of that, I just sort of ended up doing improv and, um, and then in comedy that way. But I actually got into improv at high school because I joined my school's theater sports team. And it was a bit of like a refuge in a way because there was nowhere else to sort of hang out during lunchtime if your interests were playing the clarinet and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and drama and music and stuff. Um, it was a pretty sort of traditional all boys rugby school. 
but I did find some friends with the theatre sports group. And then we would perform at assembly in the school assemblies, um, which would be before the teachers came in, because they used to do this weird promenade where the concert band would play and then all the teachers would walk in quite formally and then sit down on big wooden chairs. And we would warm up the crowd, weirdly, (laughs) um, and do, because you've got to warm up that big, you know, audience of a thousand teenage boys who just do not want to be there. And so we would do theatre sports games and impersonate teachers and stuff. And it would make us legends in the school for like Mm. maybe (laughs) four minutes, but that was enough for me. Uh, And then we'd run back to the music room and hide for the rest of lunchtime. So I think as well, like, I was like, oh, it's a way to kind of, it was sort of like a survival tactic in a way of like, I really could, um, I know, just gave me a, a sense of, of purpose and stuff. Yeah, you're really playing to one of the toughest crowds there are, like right <laughs> off the bat. But it really feels like a great warm-up if you want to be a comedian in New Zealand. Like the best training <laughs> ground you can have is performing to sort of hungry and tired teenage boys who just want to be like out on the field kicking a ball around. <laughs> like if you can win them yeah. over, you can kind of win anyone over. Yeah, that is so, so true. And I mean, I went to an all-girls school, so I can't quite, you know, relate, but I can imagine it right now. Um, (laughs) I did theatre as well. So, yeah, that was my survival mechanism in high school. So I can relate. And, yes, actors, there's probably more neuroses with actors, I think, than comedians potentially, just as a a very gross generalisation. Yeah, it's the nature of the work, right, I guess, of what yeah. they like have to inhabit or the work that they're kind of driven to, to do and tell. And I'm, like, always in awe of what an actor can do, and I love seeing movies and stuff, but from having a conversation with them, like, your, your eyes do roll sometimes. <laughs> um, whereas comedians are, um, you know, we're a trivial bunch, really. Like, I mean, in, in some ways, we're quite res- irresponsible, but I don't know, sometimes when the world is as heavy as it is, you just want to hang out with the dumbest people you can find. And the world has been very heavy, as we've referenced, and as no doubt everyone listening is well aware of, given that we're still in a pandemic. And I did note on your um, media release, you had hoped that maybe the pandemic would be over by the time this show is on, but clearly it's not. <laughs> did I say that? <laughs> yeah, there's a little oh, asterisk God. at the end. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you just got to hope, don't you? But that being said, I've got a great sense of hope and joy being in Melbourne. I mean, no one's wearing masks around here. I mean, I guess it's because you're all over it or something. I don't know, but it's yeah, good. Everyone's um, moved on, but it is still here and it's running rampage. So, oh, that's gonna that's gonna be great. That's only gonna lead to really great results, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Chris, one of the things that I felt personally guilty for, and it really wasn't my own fault, but. Um, I, uh, I'd reached out to this museum in New Zealand needing some special archival document that they so kindly gave to me. Um, but it was on the day that Auckland locked down because of Australia, essentially because of Sydney giving you Omicron. And I felt so bad because she literally ran out the door and photocopied this thing for me right when she had to leave to go to her lockdown, you know. It was so weird though, being in New Zealand at that time, because we... I mean, we just love to pat ourselves on our back for doing such a great job during this pandemic. But really, like, there is honestly 15 people in New Zealand and we're surrounded by water. So, <laughs> I mean, the odds were stacked in our favour in some ways. Yeah. But it was weird with that Omicron thing because it just felt inevitable. And we kept being told, like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And we had no cases. And so it sort of felt like you were in the dentist's waiting room and you could just hear someone in the room in front of you getting their mouth absolutely obliterated by a dentist. And you're like, oh, that sounds so painful. And I guess <laughs> I'm next. And that's sort of what it felt like listening through 
and hearing Australia go through the Omicron wave. And then um, before you knew it, we had one case and it was all over. Like, it really was for mm-hmm. us. And it just spread like wildfire as well. So, I mean, it's no one's fault, though it is fun to blame someone. But I really cannot stand that thing of like, when you get sick from someone and then they and you blame them for getting you sick. Like, it's just so trivial. The thing's blowing around everywhere, so it's no one's fault. And it's um, hyper-infectious, as we know. Uh, one of the really funny videos you did recently, which um, I mentioned to you off air, was that video about the Omicron outbreak where you were talking, uh, you were personifying two countries, New Zealand and, I believe, I read into it, Australia. <laughs> Because it was a little bit too familiar, uh, and it did. I'm going to say Sydney because it, they were also just a bit braggy, you know, just kind of like painfully confident. So as a Melbourneian, I can say that. Uh, but I really enjoyed that video because I think it was once again providing light relief for something which, no doubt, was, um, I guess, daunting potentially for you guys. As you said, you were just waiting and waiting for the inevitable to happen. And then, you know, you're seeing thousands of cases tick up and you've got friends like Australia saying, oh, we know how to get through it. We can help you out. And, oh, darling, you know, you need to get a better mask. I mean, what are your thoughts about these issues and how do you come up with these video concepts? You know, what kind of inspires you and how does the inspiration strike? It just blows my mind really, like, in these huge kind of global events these like uh, things that are just so uh, like massive you can't even comprehend how like sort of life-changing and history-defining these are that humans will still act like such like idiots inside of it like and our behavior is so um (laughs) um mundane and and like trivial and we just worry about like just where can we get a flat white throughout this pandemic? You know, you, and you think like when you're going to be in a pandemic, like, cause you, your only experience of them are the movies where everyone takes it so seriously because they're, they're heroes. And so, you know, they're the last one alive. And then suddenly you, you find yourself in a, a pandemic and you realize you're acting like an extra in the background, you know, um, <laughs> not taking it seriously at all. And so I think that's where it all, I think I can always pull the humor out of these pretty massive moments in life is like even though the pandemic is just like really like overwhelming the way that us as humans deal with it is like how we deal with any problem in our life (laughs) which is just so ridiculous but it's so true you know we're just like all we're really worried about is ourselves (laughs) and our relationships with other people Um, and so I feel like it's those attitudes that I always just find so funny on a related video, I think a more recent one as well, was uh, you being told to go out and get bread uh, and you're like, treat it like this Mission Impossible type scenario. So it's very entertaining to see, you know, the hand sanitizer is like a gun and that, you know, coming back from your massive expedition and uh, and then you're told that, like, someone's a close contact of someone else and so <sighs> therefore you have to isolate. And it, Oh, my God, it must have rung true for pretty much everyone who watched that video. It just felt that weekend, like no matter where you went, you it was just getting closer and closer to you. And I was really trying to avoid it because as well, like I just want to do my my shows and show off in front of in front of crowds. And if I get sick, like it, I obviously can't do that. And so I was really trying to like just basically not leave the house, even though we weren't put into a lockdown anymore. And um, but it just felt like wherever I went. I would eventually bump into someone who would then become a, a close contact. But I guess that's the pandemic for you, isn't it? It is. It is. 
Chris, I want to pivot to one of my favourite characters of yours. Well, I think it is my favourite, so I'm going to say that now, Um, and that is Linda. Mm. She is just brilliant. I mean, she's almost like the every mum. Like I see her in so many different people and she's, I guess, hilarious in the way that you, you know, I don't know, it's kind of hard to put into words what you're doing because you're not doing it like in a sense of, taking the piss out of Linda herself, but you're kind of almost doing it in this nice, in a sentimental way. Like, you know, it's kind of absolutely, Yeah, like (laughs) it shows this deep love, I think, for mothers, Um, but it is so, so funny. So I wonder if you could share the the character of Linda with us and what she's about and, um, yeah. Essentially, yeah, I mean, I've fallen head over heels with this kind of classic Kiwi, and she's sort of sometimes Australian mum, um, and she's kind of got like an older teenage daughter called Cassidy. And I guess what I love about Linda is that I really get to re-examine <laughs> these experiences I had growing up with my mum, but from now her perspective, because when you're a teenager, everything is so unfair and you just can't believe how your parents are treating you and like all these rules and you just like, just don't get you. And they're so embarrassing. And now to kind of be, doing this character, Linda, um, but being the mum and kind of her attitude towards her teenage daughter (laughs) is just, like, endlessly satisfying and fun to me. But, yeah, it's mainly about, like, honouring that kind of woman because I do find them incredible. Like, they're very capable people in that sense. Like, like they will organise the 50th. They will make sure that everyone turns up. They will have the spread out. They they remember like to get the card signed by all the family. Like they're very, like the world would fall apart without, without Linda's. And so I do kind of want to honor them, but I also feel like Linda's, all the Linda's in the world appreciate like as well, how kind of camp and ridiculous they are <laughs> as well. And so um, I just like being in that character and it just comes to me weirdly so naturally but as well I think I have a lot in common with Linda like I too love a really gorgeous boutique hand cream from a small you know boutique shop Mm. um and I do love French country and um you know so we we do have a lot in in common Linda and I in terms of taste and value and probably you know uh, I'd be able to sink a few Chardonnays with Linda (laughs) if I met her in real life for sure Oh, I think we'd all love to sink a few with Linda, <laughs> really. <laughs> and she is so selfless. Like, I think she really is. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, that video um, where you were talking when it was Christmas and they were exchanging gifts, I think, highlighted that where, you know, mothers are just so loving and giving and then, you know, their teenage kids are just useless when it comes to gifts. Oh, yeah. The amount of voucher books I've given my mum for Christmas and birthdays, it's just so embarrassing considering what emotionally she's given me over the years. <laughs> I think yeah. Linda actually arrived as another character I was doing, which was um, <laughs> during the lockdown, I created this character of your mum's friend. It's very specific. Mm. It's your mum's friend who picks you up from the airport and drives you around her hometown because you're there for a conference. Now, very specific. Like well, I would argue too specific. But I uploaded it because it just felt so true to me. Um, and so many people were like, I 100% have had this experience, which I think is also just like so amazing um, mm. that that exists. But I was just trying to take – it was like when we were in the bog of the pandemic and I was like, 
I don't have any more videos about scanning in and cleaning my hands and wearing a mask. And I was like, I just want to make videos about something else. And then that's when Linda was born. Um, but I just, it actually arrived out of the observation of um, when women and men drive around in their cars and then they tap on the window with their finger to point out something. They'll be like, oh, oh that's a fantastic yeah. fish and chip shop. Oh, good ice cream's there. And I just, I'm obsessed with that behavior. And then a whole character was born out of um, the idea of tapping your finger <laughs> on the front windscreen when you're driving your car. It's so stupid. What am I that's doing? amazing. Talk about random inspiration. I really love that. Um, <laughs> Before we jump into stand-up comedy, one other question I have about videos. I discovered that um, the Prime Minister of New Zealand responded to one of your videos when you were asking about what uh, the Prime Minister and the country's stance was on sex with strangers and mm. would a vaccine certificate be required? What about orgies? What about kissing? Was there a policy on one-night stands? You know, is there a kind of scan-in system uh, you ask at this press conference with Jacinda Ardern and Dr Ashley Bloomfield, no doubt, was um, to the right or left of the screen. Clearly, you didn't ask those questions of the Prime Minister, but it was a very funny video, and uh, she did reply with an emoji of, like, a kind of, I don't know, stunned, face. embarrassed <laughs> face. The stun's a better word. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny that, you know, in New Zealand this is kind of what happens um, is that you can have these interactions between the comedians uh, and the prime minister and, you know, these things just happen. It's so funny because as a country, we just spend so much time time trying to prove ourselves to the rest of the world. Being like, we're not, we're not this tiny little country and we don't all just know each other. And like, we're actually, you know, a really like established big city. Um, And then something like this happens and just, and it just undoes all your good work. Um, But essentially I think, well, I heard, because for a while I was working on breakfast radio and she came in to do an interview and she apparently watches all the videos that I was uploading as they came out, which was, um, had me sort of, uh, double thinking everything that I was uploading for sure. But then also I was like, well, everyone's got to laugh, even the prime minister. So maybe I'll just keep it true to myself. But, um, she, it's interesting because Jacinda was our minister for like culture and the arts in New Mm. Zealand. And so she has a very close relationship with a lot of our country's artists and comedians. And, you know, um, back in the improv days, um, which are still happening, I just haven't improved in a while, but um, we used to do our show Snort and we'd get monologues from Auckland celebrities and stuff to come in and they would inspire improv scenes. And Jacinda's done it like a handful of times. So like to our our tiny theatre of 100 people, I think she just genuinely does love arts and um live art and culture and stuff like that so i um i'm not sort of surprised that she was engaging or looking at it because that sort of checks out with um her actual you know genuine interest but i think now she's quite busy (laughs) (laughs) probably she's probably probably not going to the shows anymore but she uh, will watch her one minute video when it pops up on her feed um i I kind of can't believe it like you just you you see her account and you're like surely that's not her instagram Mm. account like surely it's some young intern but no it's her yeah well how else does she do her live chats exactly i know (laughs) you know with her family coming in yeah yeah she's um it's been it's actually been we've been so lucky to have like such a great communicator as our you know as like jacinda throughout this pandemic like it actually has or a sort of level of of ease and what has been yeah, such a wacky time mm. um, and so i'm glad 
that I could give back to her in the um, in the best way possible, which is with a, a stupid little Instagram video. Um, so <laughs> I think fair is fair. We're all done. She saved us from the pandemic, and I gave her one minute of um, comedy. That's an amazing exchange. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so impressed. This would not happen in Australia. I can tell you right now. <laughs> Oh, not even probably with a change of government. I think we do need uh, some more down-to-earth parliamentarians. But, um, Chris, I did note in the bio as well that you went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and you've also been doing stand-up comedy for quite a while. Um, You had a first show win a Best Newcomer Award in 2015 at the New Zealand International Comedy Festival. So this is not a new thing for you, um, clearly being in 2022, but it is great that you have come across to Australia to share your stand-up comedy with us. And I wondered what amount um, translates from the work that you're doing on Instagram and TikTok to the work that is done in stand-up comedy? Because stand-up comedy itself is an art form given there's a live audience there and you're certainly feeding off them. Yeah, it's interesting, eh? I'm not because I'm. I wouldn't really classify myself as an Instagram personality who's pivoted to stand up. I definitely see myself as a stand up who, through the pandemic, started making content online. Mm. Um, but my approach to all my work is like I. It, it is sort of like inspired, I guess, a little bit from like having a a big like formal theatre background training. Like we're at at Toy Fakati, the New Zealand drama school, you like, they teach you how to make theater. And it was like three years of a prof, of like a really intense performing arts degree. And so I really, I think what it's given me is an understanding or appreciation for comedy and, and its relationship to the form in which comedy is being delivered in. So like, I think if I, I'm not just going to put my stand up on Instagram because I know that it's not going to work. And that's mm. not how an audience want to digest comedy on their phones um and so i became to like very carefully consider like how i did want to put my comedy online and then i in the same breath i know that it's not a smart idea just to put stuff that's worked on a phone uh, on stage um because that also doesn't work um and so i'm really excited to be back doing uh live comedy again and it was the kind of durational thing of like having a good hour because you just can't really sink into anything too long on Instagram because people's attention spans aren't long enough. Like they want to skip to a, a quick recipe about how to make like tea and a gumboot in a microwave or something stupid, you know? So like you're always competing <laughs> yeah. on Instagram. Whereas on, in the, in the, um, in the space of like live comedy, it's really about like building that relationship with the audience and trying to create something special in the room together. And so, yeah, I think, I don't know. This show is really fun because it's like a best of, of all my stuff from over the years. Um, and so there's a bit of stuff from the Edinburgh show that I'm bringing over and stuff from shows that have happened around the pandemic when we did have a, a festival in New Zealand, but I wasn't able to take it anywhere. Um, and so it's, it's like, I'm really excited to do it because I'm like, Oh yeah, these are all really fun bits I get to do that I, I care about. And I know are really funny but it's a lot about me. Uh, it's quite indulgent in, in a sense, but I like to look at me. I mean, I guess if you only talk about yourself, then like you're not really making assumptions about anyone else. <laughs> so I like that. It's a good like. Well, I, I can't be offensive because I'm just talking about myself here. But within that, I'm, it's kind of an interrogation about my relationship with men and masculinity. And I've always sort of felt like I'm a little bit obsessed with men. I mean, on the surface level of me wanting to um, be with them in a romantic <laughs> sense, but also like um, a lot of my like 
hardest experiences of my life have also come from being around men. Um, and I question myself a lot when I'm around men. And I think going to like one being living in New Zealand, which is just like rugby is as good as it gets, you know, like it is the dominant culture in the country. Mm -hmm. And it's such a weird world that I don't really necessarily understand, but I'm always around and surrounded by it. And so it's just a show that just kind of looks at my relationship in terms of being just kind of on the periphery of masculinity and what I've observed about masculinity from my um, point of view. Yeah. I mean, it's really it sounds, sounds like a great very show. Lofty. It sounds very lofty <laughs> and, and intellectual. It really isn't. <laughs> like it's mainly just a good time. But um, I do, you know, I do have some... <laughs> Deeper, deeper thoughts sometimes, I guess, about it on like a, when I'm talking about it on radio on a Tuesday morning. <laughs> <laughs> it can be both. It can be both at the same sitting time. A, sitting there with my cup of tea, looking at the window, getting very philosophical when really it is just like, <laughs> it's just the most digestible, fun comedy show, I promise. Yeah. No, I did um, see a short video about, uh, I think it was a joke about your mum's dress-up box, which did also ring true to me about, you know, what a dress-up box should be. You know, it shouldn't be this, like, you know, Superman or that chick from Frozen uh, that everyone seems to dress up as. No, the good dress-up boxes were, like, always um, had those amazing, like, just, like, weird clothing items that your your, your mum's fashion mistakes from the 80s, I think I say in the show, you know, like... And it's so amazing because it's it never ceases to amaze me how you can have such a specific experience growing up, and then you talk about it on stage and you realise that everyone else had like an identical experience. <laughs> like everyone had a dress up box. I mean, mine was like a big wicker box. Did you ever dress up? Yes, box? I did. And mine was also a wicker box. What the heck? Why was it I wicker? Know. I guess it was safe, and it was like falling apart. Like, and as a kid, I became yes. obsessed with like unweaving the wicker. Um, but like, and it was under our bunk bed and there was that experience of like constantly standing up and getting your hair caught at the bottom of a bunk bed. Um, and it was like one of the, it's like that pain is only beaten by the pain of scratching your back on the tap in the bath. Like that was Mm. like, it it was a feeling of being kind of shot, you know, it was just like so painful. Like there was no recovering from that. The night was over (laughs) and I just, yeah, I find discovering those shared experiences to be one great potential for comedy but two just like oh, I don't know relieving to be like oh my gosh like we're all so like connected and closer than we think we are and like again here we go he's getting philosophical on a Tuesday morning but you know like it's so divided in some ways in this world and then like it is just mm. the most mundane trivial things that do actually all bring us together which I think is always so much fun yeah no it sounds like we had a typical Gen X upbringing and uh, uh- I'm millennial. Do, do not love me. Oh, oh sorry. I'm not Gen X. No, I'm Gen Y. Sorry. I'm projecting ahead. I'm not oh. that old. Jesus. Are millennials Gen Y? Gen Y. Yep. Oh, yeah, I even, oh, of and course then I Gen Z. Yeah. X, Y, Z. I've got a few gripes with Gen Z because I feel like um, they've got it all together now. Like teenagers aren't awkward anymore um, because of no. their phones. Like They've all like worked it out. They know they're sexual and gender, um, gender identities and they're just so confident and they know how to do their makeup and they look amazing. Whereas when I was their age, I was like, I was a wreck, you know, I was wearing like three quarter cargo shorts and like wearing my mum's Maybelline matte mousse powder all over my face. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of going to like the $2 shop and getting like the purple and blue eyeshadows and the glitter oh. that you stuck on your cheeks and like the, the butterfly hair clips. Because we were all alone. Like, we didn't have a community of people online where we could share advice and figure it out. We were just, like, aimlessly 
navigating it ourselves and like you know we'd have acne and we'd like put toothpaste on our face because we heard it through the rumor mill at lunchtime that like toothpaste all sorted out and you're like burning your face off with <laughs> colgate triple action it was just hideous <laughs> thank god for phones but also not i'm kind exactly. of i was i'm kind of glad i didn't have a phone to be honest because now um i probably wish i could get rid of mine at the moment but i do it is a different type of connectivity and and how culture and pop culture spread so quickly um chris we'll leave it there and uh, i know we've um covered so much ground we haven't I don't think given the game away for your show which is good so people can head along to your show which is on from March the 31st till the 24th of April it's running between Tuesdays and Sundays so you're having a Monday off uh, and it's on Mantra on Russell in the CBD and uh, I hope people do get along because Mm. I just love everything you do and I'm very excited to learn about your relationship with (laughs) men and masculinity and have a great laugh as well. Oh, I'm excited. I'm, I can't believe I've got my first sort of hotel residency. That's how I'm treating it anyway. <laughs> I'm at the mantra. I just feel like I'm some sort of like 1930s cabaret yeah. star. The mantra, darling. It's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. And I really hope you have a huge amount of fun and uh, that you can duck and weave the Omicron like you've been doing in New Zealand. Well, I think you don't have it here from what I've, I can see. So, uh, yeah, yeah I will. I'm going to have a wonderful time. It's just disappeared. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chris. Thank you. I've just been chatting with comedian and actor Chris Parker. He is from New Zealand, as you can hear, um, and we have a great opportunity to see Chris live in person with his show Gentleman, which is showing as part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. And as I said, it's running pretty much for the whole season, so you can check it out. I'm Amy Mullins, and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. Uncommon Sense is a radio show broadcast on 3RRR FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm.